Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, welcome back to In The Pink with me, Natalie Pinkham and Bose, helping you stay connected throughout these crazy times. And let's face it, being connected has never been more important. So I hope that this podcast goes some way to helping you feel connected um, with each other and with some of the guests that we've had on. And Karun Chandok was a big hit. Um, He's such a good talker, isn't he? And he's got great views on the world, amazing knowledge of Formula One but also some interesting views on diversity and how we can improve that in our sports. So thanks again, Karun, for your time. Okay, next up on In The Pink is a young man who won GP3 Championship in 2017. He won F2 in 2018. And by 2019, he's a fully-fledged Formula One driver. He is part of a crop of British talent that is very exciting for the sport. He's also an absolute breath of fresh air. Lovely company, great to chat to. I am, of course, talking about George Russell. Here he is on In The Pink. Well, here we are, George. Um, how are you? I mean, you, you must be feeling good after what's been a great first few, particularly qualifying sessions for you. But races as a whole, you know, this is real progress, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, ahead of this year, if you said that we'd have made Q2, three out of four times, you know, we'd have definitely taken it. So it's, um, it's not where we want to be still. We're still, you know, I've got higher aims, the team have higher aims, but we're going in the right direction. So I still don't want to be called Mr. Saturday by Crofty that I, uh, I listened to last night, re-watched, uh, re-watched qualified. You know, you get your points on the Sunday, but it's nice to have been able to put in some good uh, quality performances. Well, any day of the week being named after you is good, but you're right. It'd be better to be Mr. Sunday, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Um, so go on then, rate out of 10 this year and then give me a rating out of 10 for last year so we can see what kind of trajectory you're on. Uh, of overall performance or my performance or what? Everything. If everything, if, you know, if an alien was dropped onto Earth and said, I don't know anything about F1, but just kind of tell me how you're getting on. Give it a rating out of 10 for 2020. I know we haven't had much of it yet, but... Yeah, I'd probably say six last year, seven this year, you know, baby steps. But, um, you know, obviously, you know, it's, this is a seven out of 10 sort of for us, let's say, because we're in this position. We were so far behind last year um, and we are going in, in the right direction. Like I said, I'm not here just to 
be getting into a Q2 session. I want to be winning races and podiums and scoring points every weekend. But at my stage in my career, where the team is at the moment, that's totally unrealistic. So I am pleased with the progress. Um, but you soon get quite settled in that position. And you always, as soon as you get there consistently, you want to, you know, go further. And um, I had a bit of a chat with my engineer after qualifying. And he said, sorry, I wasn't as pumped up on the radio as I was in the previous races. It's just, you know, it's like three in a row now. And I guess the, the novelty wears off a little bit. And I, I presume as well, it's also because we were under investigation at, at the time. So it wasn't quite as much of a buzz as the previous two. But, you know, we're here on merit now and this is where, where the, the pace of the car is. Well, that's so true. I mean, you know you're making progress when you're like, eh, Q2, yeah. whatever. We want Q3 <laughs> now, but we know that is... Last year when we was aiming for a Q2 session, that's going to be us now aiming for a Q3 session. You know, it, we may just creep in once or twice but that would only be if everything goes perfect from our side and, and the other slip up. But, you know, I've been pleased with the session so far this year. Everything's run smoothly. Um, obviously, last weekend was, was very unfortunate with the yellow flag and the circumstance um, around that. I wasn't actually aware it was a double yellow. I thought it was just a single yellow. And I lifted what I thought was sufficient for a single yellow. Um, and that was a, fa a big factor into my into my penalty. So, you know, that's unfortunate, but it was nice to see the pace of the car. And I think I think Sunday was the first time I've ever overtaken a non-Williams car in my F1 career. Um, taking first laps out of the way, because obviously first laps just is a first lap. But on pure merit, it's the first time I've ever overtaken a non-Williams car. So, uh, yeah, that was nice. Big tick in the box. Um, I never forget when um, I interviewed you right at the beginning of your year last year and then kind of progressively through the year, I really thought you were going to start not being able to trot out the right answers, losing some of that positivity and shine. And you said to me, I said, you know, God, is, it, is it difficult? And you went, no, do you know what? It's, it's actually good because I'm applying my trade here as a rookie, kind of under the radar slightly. You know, the focus wasn't totally on you. So you're able to learn um, in a car that wasn't at the front of the grid. And that was a positive that you were taking from that. And what I took from that is that you're a positive person. Glass is half full. And I thought, surely that won't last. How do you feel now? You've had your rookie year, it's under your belt. Are you now kind of itching just to get into a more competitive car? You know, I think we're just itching to have more performance. I think this has been massive for us for the last few races, seeing that we can compete uh, with others on merit. Um, but I'm always sort of a person that if you're in a certain situation that you can't drastically change, you, you just got to get on with it. You know, it's so easy for me to throw the toys out the pram and get upset and frustrated that, you know, Alex and Lando are down at the front fighting. And, you know, I've been racing with those guys my whole life. Um, and knowing that, you know, if we were in equal machinery, you, you'd be in a similar position. But there's nothing I can do at the moment. All I can do is just, just keep doing my thing. And um, I think if I let it affect me too much, it will then affect my on-track performance. And I think that's sort of the angle I'm going at it is, if I start letting it frustrate me that I'm in a car that isn't capable of, you know, scoring podiums like Alex and Lando, then it will affect my on-track performance. And I, I can't let that happen because I hope to be here in F1 for the next 15 or 20 years. And... Um, 
you know, this is only the first, first steps. That is an incredibly mature approach. I mean, don't wish to sound patronising, but that is, that's old beyond your years. I think that's amazing attitude. Is that something that, like, do you feel quite an old soul? Is that something <laughs> that you... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I guess, I guess throughout my whole career, I've been in and around older people. My friends were always a bit older than me. Um, you know, the teams I was in always dealing with older engineers and, I don't know. I don't know. I think siblings, your siblings are quite a lot older than you as well, aren't yeah, exactly. they? Exactly. You know, I've got uh, my sister Caro is thirty-four now. I think. I should <laughs> love. Yeah, no, love I think you just told everyone. <laughs> she she's thirty-five now. I think my brother's thirty-four. Um, so that helps. I think as well having uh, my trainer Alesh Casanovas, who who's been with me for the last four years now. You know, he's a massive part of my been a massive part of my journey and um, helping me get through this really and helping me stay positive and like I say try and understand the, and see the bigger picture here and, and at the end of the day as a kid I dreamed of getting to Formula One you know I can't be ungrateful with in the position I am and um, as long as I'm doing the job at the moment you know better things in terms of results will come um, down the line. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of that balance, isn't it, between feeling grateful but being ambitious. And that goes back to your engineer's earlier point of like, okay, we've made Q, uh, Q2 a couple of times now. Let's keep pushing. Yeah, exactly. So it's, uh, it's interesting. I want to go back to, to Alex and Lander because I think another part um, of such a positive journey for all three of you is having each other. It seems that you do give each other a lot of support. Um, how useful has that been, do you think, for all of you? Not, I mean, you can only speak for yourself, but it does feel as if you've got each other's backs. Yeah, I think it's, it's good to have a good friend that you can relate exactly to how you're feeling, how the weekend's going. Um, you know, I've got a number of other very close friends who know motorsport very well. But, you know, there's only 20 drivers on the grid who know exactly how it feels, the pressures... Uh, the commitments you have to do from a marketing perspective, um, from the team side of things, how how much you have to to focus on that to push the team and sort of all eyes are on you at times. So I think having Alex and Lando just to be able to chat to here and there, you know, most of the time we're we're not even talking about racing and we're just laughing and, and having a bit of banter. But you know, it's it is good, especially with me and Alex at times, just talk about the racing and um, understand how each other's position really mm, you're able to vent if you need to yeah exactly exactly so yeah I mean like I used Alex um, on the way back from Germany last year when I got beaten by Robert I think that was only my second race at the time or maybe it was the first race he beat me and that was the race that he scored the point um so you know just so typical and uh, I was on the phone with Alex for about 45 minutes on the way home I was driving back to my to my girlfriend's he was on the way to the airport and I was just uh, getting my frustration out on him so because he understood you know he understood my position so uh, that was good and it does feel like you're part of something quite special you know this is a whole tranche of new talent coming through uh, it feels like the future is bright for British motorsport, thanks to you guys. And there's just a bit of a buzz around it. Are you aware of that? Um, 
I guess to a certain extent, but I don't let it really affect me. You know, I, I get asked quite a lot about, you know, when Lewis retires, you and Lando are going to be the guys, you know, taking over. And how do you feel about that? And I don't really have any feelings about that. It's, you know, I'm in Formula One to do the best job for myself and my family, um, ultimately. And I don't like outside views or potential, you know, impressions to, to take over because, again, that just adds unnecessary pressure if, if I start thinking the hands of British motorsport are in mine and Lando's hands. You know, that's just unnecessary, uh, unnecessary extra pressure. So, you know, to a certain extent, I, I know it, but I don't let it affect me at all and just get on with my job. Well, hopefully it can just be a positive um you know, source of energy, if anything, just that, that fact. I mean, I remember talking to you last year when you came out um, at the British Grand Prix and just saw all those fans. And it was, it was like you were some sort of rock star. Yeah. It was incredible. I mean, what a buzz. And as long as you can kind of leverage that and use it to good advantage, not feel the pressure from it, then, then that's great. Yeah, absolutely. I think the F1 weekends are so intense, especially for us, um, at an ordinary Silverstone weekend when you've got all of the, the fans and the commitments, they do give you extra energy to not let it affect you, uh, not let it you know, fatigue you because you're just so buzzing on their energy. And I guess that's where you've got to use them to, to, to your advantage, like you say. So, you know, I've only had one year, one and a half years of F1 experience, obviously this year. We haven't experienced any of the fans, which is, which has been very disappointing. And you know, you, you really miss it because, especially as a, a young guy like me, and only my my second year of F1, that is a part of the buzz. You know, it's going to the races, and I'm sure some people find it annoying sometimes when they are, you know, getting uh, you know asked questions from every direction and people wanting their attention. Um, but for us youngsters, you know, it's it's something you you quite look forward to and enjoy because it's not something we've been used to all of our lives. Yeah, and the rest of the year you are kind of in a bit of a bubble. I mean, you do get see fans at other races that will support you, but a lot of the time, the reality of your life is in hotel rooms, in airport lounges. Um, I'm not saying for one minute you're not living the dream because you are, but there are times when you just do need that human interaction and connection that that's kind of everything for all of us and I think that's the biggest thing that I've definitely felt through the lockdown and and now going to races without fans is how much we really need each other like even at races we've got the masks on it just feels like a disconnect doesn't it yeah absolutely it's incredibly weird and I think for for everybody in normal life not being able to really see friends um and just live a normal social life you you understand how important that was for for all of us really and um yeah I still get my head around it and still especially at the race weekends because I base myself out of a little cabin outside of the engineer's office so I do all my debriefs all my marketing everything from that little uh, container cabin and I barely see my engineers I see them when I walk into the garage and walk out the garage but for the rest we're just talking over the laptop or over the intercom system and it's just uh, such an odd feeling you know you're you're in it together you're doing all of this together yet it's just such a big disconnect and 
I guess it's a bit like a long distance uh, relationship it almost feels so that's probably the best way to describe it you know what I always want to say to you we need to try and get Alex to be British I know he's Thai but I think we need to claim him how can we make this happen I don't really know to be honest I think um, I really don't know I'll have a word with him I don't think I can influence him because I don't think Red Bull being half Thai would really appreciate him claiming the British side of things. You know, he's 50-50 and um, he's gone the tyre route and um, yeah, no, let him be. It's both boxes, it's great, that's good. The world continues to evolve and the new norm isn't fully clear yet. But what does remain constant is the core message from our friends at Bose. Stay calm, stay centred and stay connected. Communication is key in everything we do and goes a long way to nurturing both ourselves and our relationships with others. So continue to talk about what matters to you and don't be afraid to block out unhelpful noise or indeed to embrace silence because doing both can be great. Some of the ways we work will have changed forever. Embrace that. Make those new ways work for you. Shape the new norm to suit you. Feel more, do more, be more with Bose. Um, okay, let's talk a bit more about your, your childhood and um, your upbringing. So you, you, you've mentioned your brother and sister. And um, I, I remember hearing your brother claim that he was a better driver than you. <laughs> but you put paid to that because you did a race on the sim and tell us the result. It wasn't just for sim, it was a Williams F1 sim. So... Um... You know, he came to a, a race last year and he always gives it the big one that he's the fastest Russell. And the first time he met Claire, he yeah. let her know that he took the wrong Russell. So she turned around and said, all right, let's get you on the sim. So we arranged that, did that at the start of a year. Um, I sort of had him over because I got him practicing around Barcelona. And when we got to, um, on, the, on the Formula One game, and when we got to Williams, they said we're doing uh, Hungary on the sim. So he thought I kind of had him over. Um, like proper stitch up. Yeah, proper stitch up. He was he was all right to be honest. By the end, he got he only did about twenty five laps. By the end, I think he was three and a half, four seconds off. He but to be fair, I literally jumped in and did one lap, and that was my reference. So probably four and a half or so seconds off. So he's got potential. He's got, <laughs> got potential. Maybe he should oh. make a comeback at the age of thirty four. I am sure he will love hearing his little brother say he's got potential. Um, but it's fair to say that he's one of the reasons that you are in racing, isn't he? Tell us the story. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my brother used to race go-karts um, when he was 11 years old, and that's when I was born. And he just went through the, the ranks in in Britain, in, in national karting. And my brother was, was incredibly good. You know, he won the British and World Championship in, in karting in 2007. Um, but you know he because he did start so late there was not really any further sort of future for for him in in motorsport and he was he was quite happy to sort of hand the baton down onto me and to um, you know go off to university and and live his own life so you know he lives a lives a happy life now he's got two kids he's um, enjoying it he supports me every weekend but because of him I was on the racetrack from you know such a young age from from one or two years old and I was just 
I just grew up on the racetrack. So it was just so natural for me to jump in a go-kart just because I was on the racetrack for so long. So you did feel like it was your destiny. It was in your DNA. It was meant to be. Yeah, like I say, it, it wasn't even like a shock when I first drove because it just felt natural. It just felt like that was always going to be yeah, like my destiny because I had always been on four wheels. I had a little quad bike from a very young age. I used to have a pedal tractor, which I used to take around all the racetracks with me and uh, have all sorts of fun on that. So, you know, I just loved everything four wheels and it was just so natural and normal for me to, to start go-karting. And your sister was into equestrian. She was into horses. Yeah. So weren't ever tempted by that? Not really, no. I think I've only ridden a horse once or twice and um, it was a little bit painful in, <laughs> in a certain area for me. I got my rhythm all wrong. I was on the down bounce when the horse was on the up bounce and uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't very pleasant. So, no, I, I passed on that one and, and stuck the four wheels. Oh, it's funny because um, when we did that cribs with you, uh, I remember looking around because you're at your parents now and you've obviously been there through, through, through the lockdown and now between the two Silverstone races. Um, but I remember looking around and thinking, hang on, there's another picture of George and another picture of George and another picture of George. And you're like, yeah, probably winds them up a bit. A bit of the golden boy of the family. But I mean, Maybe. along comes this little cherub, you know, when they've, the, the other kids are like, what, 11 and 10? He's older than me, yep. Yeah, 11 and 10. And then this gorgeous little boy comes on, gorgeous George. So no <laughs> wonder you were so treasured by everyone. Like, yeah, exactly. what a blessing. I guess so. I guess so. I mean, um, you know, my mum, <laughs> my, my, my parents loved me a lot. My mum uh, definitely still treats me a little bit like a baby. And my sister, to a certain extent, you know, they'll all do anything for me. So, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky in that sense. And, um, you know, I guess that's why, you know, I always say now in, I'm in Formula One, this has not just been a journey for me, but for all of us. You know, my parents sacrificed so much to get me here. My siblings were um, sort of willing to allow my parents to invest sort of so much time and effort and, and money at the time when I started racing to, to follow my dreams. And without the support of all of them, you know, potentially I wouldn't be here today. So, you know, this has been the success of of all of us. And that's why I feel like it's my turn to pay them back, not just, you know, financially, but to, you know, this whole dream of ours to uh, sort of invest together. That's so lovely. And I think it's really important for, for the fans to see the human story behind each of the the drivers, which I guess... Is why podcasts like this matter, but also the Netflix series has been so brilliant because you you actually it humanizes the sports stars because often we just see you submerged in your cockpit. We've got no idea really about the backstory, and it's the backstory that makes you special, isn't it? Um, how, what what did their sacrifice, your parents' sacrifice, look like on a weekly basis? What kind of time commitments were they giving? What did weekends look like for you? I mean, the main thing would be the weekends. You know, my my dad would work Monday to Friday incredibly long hours um he ran the business so I wouldn't actually see a lot of my father in the week but always on a Friday night after after school we'd jump in a little motorhome and we'd go up and down the country going racing so it was only a Saturday Saturday Sunday and um you know they were always there to 
to support me. And in my early days, actually, when my brother was still racing, it was actually me and my mum that went together to a lot of the races. And uh, we had a little horse box, which we put the cart in the back. And she used to be like my mechanic at the time and do all the tyre pressures and what have you. So You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweller since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, it's just, I guess as, as a kid, you just feel like it's, it's natural and normal. As you know, no different uh, for your parents putting, putting that much effort and time into your life and um and even for me i didn't i didn't recognize at the time that my my parents are spending all this time with me but not with my my siblings so uh obviously they were uh much older and they they were living their own life but still that was a huge part of it and that that was the case you know from all of my life really from eight to to 13 my parents every single weekend were were away with me and did you ever feel like you were missing out on stuff that normal kids and teenagers did? Or did that yeah. never come into your head? Um, yeah, definitely. I think it's natural to, to, to feel that. I know, I know a lot of drivers um, who potentially haven't made it, who didn't miss out on things when they were younger, when I was, because you know, I was focused on my job and, um, and I, was, I just had one dream, and that was to get to Formula One. And I gave everything, you know, I recognised that from a pretty young age, you've got to give everything you've got. And it's definitely your your late teenage years when, you know, your mates are out partying, um, going out clubbing at the weekend, getting getting drunk and getting on it. And um, like I say, I don't, I didn't necessarily miss it. I knew I could have done it, but I knew that it wasn't the right thing to be doing. So um, that's sort of a sacrifice you had to make but you know I look back and I you know I wouldn't change it for a thing you know I feel much more pleased in the position I am now than potentially if I was out having a great time every couple of weeks uh, with my mates at the weekends and not be in this position. I'm sure your mates agree. Uh, when you um uh when you were younger 
like much younger. When was the point that you realised that you had enough talent to be a racing driver? And when was the point that you realised it was going to happen? Because presumably there were two different points in time. Or maybe there yeah, were. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I was a kid, I was incredibly confident. I thought I could, uh, you know, defeat the world and I was invincible. I think a lot of kids feel like that. But definitely when I was racing, when I was um, probably 11 years old, probably 11 to 14 were my most confident years of my life where I just thought I could, I was completely invincible and not just in racing, but just life in general. Uh, so fortunately nothing bad happened to me that I didn't jump out the bedroom window or something. I thought I could fly. Um, but it was probably, it was probably 11 years old that when I started to think I, I was uh, pretty invincible, um, that I thought, you know, I'm fairly handy at this and not necessarily thought you can go all the way. Again, it felt at the time, it felt like it was just a natural journey, like it was as I was a kid driving around on my pedal tractor it was just natural that I felt like I was going to sit in a a go-kart one day and then likewise between the age of 11 and probably between 11 and 15 it just felt natural that you just win win races and you'll be in Formula One one day and it was only when I was 16 years old I really recognized actually you know I'm a long way from F1 it's going to take a lot of things to happen a lot of things to change I don't have the the backing behind me to even get into, you know, GP3, Formula 2 to be on the radar F, F1 teams. And it's going to take something pretty big to happen. And that was the point that it really hit me. Uh, you know, this might not happen. And then when was your mind changed? Um... I think the moment I got signed by Mercedes, that was... That'll do it. <laughs> that, that, yeah, I think even then, I, I signed a, um, an option agreement with Mercedes at the start of 2016. And they had the option on me until the end of 2016 to, to take me as a full-time junior driver or not. So I had to go out that year, prove myself. I was doing days on their simulator. And that whole season felt like a, a test almost to see if I could you know, reach the bar to, to get into Mercedes. And um, you know, I remember that phone call in October saying, yeah, we're going to sign you. That was, you know, that was probably the biggest relief probably I've ever had in my life because that was the moment I knew if that was a no, that was game over. You know, this... I would 100% not be in this position today um, because firstly, I wouldn't have been able to afford or have the backing to race in GP3 on F2. Um, so like I said, that was the moment where I thought, you know what, we've got a pretty decent chance here. In the Pink and Bows want to support you in whatever way we can during these uncertain and constantly evolving times. So we're giving away more noise-cancelling headphones to bring some added calm to your life. To win the headphones, just tag in the three friends you're most looking forward to reconnecting with once lockdown is fully lifted. Always include the hashtag Bose, and those headphones could be yours. Good luck and stay connected. And then obviously you repaid that faith 
in you by notching up wins and ultimately championships in 2017, 2018, GP3 and, and F2. Um, did you just kind of feel like once you had this backing um, and this belief in you that you then got into a groove and you just started delivering? I mean, smashing it out of the park, really. I think one massive difference between um, when Mercedes were looking at me versus when they signed me was that the moment they truly signed me to become you know, the junior driver, they pretty much told me, we believe in you, you know, and we want to help you develop into a better driver and get the maximum potential out of you. And I think that's one thing that I've been so lucky and grateful for is that they didn't go out there and leave me to do my thing and see if I could handle the pressure and see if I could cope with this and that. They really helped me to, to get my maximum potential out of myself. Um, you know, firstly, like I said before, starting off with Aleish, my trainer, that's when he started work with me. It's a small thing, but it's a thing that really helped my fitness side of things, mental side of things, races and someone to be there for me. Um, obviously getting the opportunity to test F1 cars and learning so much from their engineers. You know, I've got a really good relationship with all of the guys. I could text them whenever I wanted, ask for advice. Um, I used to fly with them to and from the races. And that just really helped me to become into a better driver and to, you know, fulfill the potential, which, you know, ultimately made me sort of excel in 2017 and 18. And actually looking forward to now being at Williams, um, it does feel like you not only have you bedded into the team so well, but you've kind of owned it, you've carved it, you've moulded it around you. And I remember you saying, again, at the beginning of your rookie year, you know, I want to be a team leader. I don't want to presume I will be, but I just want to naturally kind of organically get to that point where I evolve into leading this team. Um, and I mean, it seems great. You seem, you seem to have a great rapport with your engineers. Obviously, Claire Williams is full of praise for you as well. How, how does it feel? Does it feel like the family that we all see from the outside looking in? Yeah, I, th I think so. You know, it's, um, you know, it is a, it's an incredible team. The, the group of engineers we've, we've got at the track are, you know, such fantastic people. We've all got a really good relationship. And I think what we went through last year grew us into, um, you know, a stronger character to be able to deal with disappointment of last year because there was always an element of hope into every weekend that something might happen and this and that. But ultimately, the car was so slow. We had to just arrive at every single race. I put the, the most amount of effort in I can, my engineers, the mechanics, and ultimately there's nothing at all to show for it. And that was difficult. And I think now we're here... Uh, and we are getting better results. It's just a much stronger, nicer feeling for for all of us. So, um, yeah, like I say, it's a, it's a really great team and a, a great relationship we've all got. And are those dark days well and truly behind you now, do you believe, as a team? You know, there's no risk of dropping back into them. I mean, there, there is absolutely not only light at the end of the tunnel, but you're pulling out the other side. Yeah, absolutely. I think we are 100% going in the right direction. Um, you know, last year was a big commitment for the team to to recognise the issues of the previous years and say, right, we need a we need a full reset here. 
and it might compromise us for a year, year and a half. Um, you know, in all honesty, I, I did not expect the performance of the car to be where it is currently before the season started. I, I thought we'd be much closer. I, I still thought we'd well and truly still be the slowest team and um, struggling to get off the back of the grid. So it has even surprised me. And, um, you know, there's no signs of, of stopping now. We're still on an upwards um, direction and the foundations are well and truly truly there for the team. So it's definitely looking positive for, for everybody at Grove. And what are the differences between Kubica and Latifi in terms of teammates? Um, you know, they're both... They're both great people, to be fair, both of which I got on really well with. Obviously, in very different points of their career, I think, obviously, Robert had so much experience, but equally, he was still a rookie coming back because he spent so long out of the car, never raced on Pirellis before, which is a massive change. The, um, the cars itself these days were so different to the ones he raced. So he was equally a rookie learning the car and how to, to deal with all of that. But he had so much experience and knowledge how to deal with the engineers, the sort of feedback he has to give to, to get the most out of his car. And that's something I learned a huge amount from. So I guess it's just experience, really. Now, this is Nicholas's first year in, in Formula One. Um, I've obviously got a year more experience than he has. So, yeah, I, I don't really know, to be honest. I think from my side, I just like to get on with my side of driving, focusing on myself with my engineers. You always need to keep an eye on what your teammate is doing. Make sure that if they're quicker in any parts of the track to understand why they are. Uh, is it something he's doing in the driving, something for the setup? But ultimately, I think we're all different drivers and you've got to be confident enough just to continue in your direction, even if things aren't going perfect, to say, well, even if his setup's different, he's a different driver and if it works for him, it might not work for me. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's just different dynamics, but both um, both I'm getting along well with. Yeah, I tell you what, um, Nicholas seems a very positive, smiley person. He, he always seems to be. <laughs> He's yeah. got that little twinkle in his eye. I mean, I don't, I don't know him well at all because obviously this year as well, you can't wander in and have breakfast at Williams anymore. Um, I mean, that's a big blow. It is. That no, is. It's weird. I mean, because normally we've got the hospitality. You build such a good relationship with everybody. Yeah. You know, with you guys, um, all the journalists up and down the grid even just sitting down with your mechanics and engineers, you can't do that anymore. But no, Nicholas is a great guy. Um, his family are great people. You know, we've, I've known them for a long time now, coming through the ranks. And um, yeah, I see no reason why he won't have a long career in Formula One. Um, I mean, one of the big, yeah, let's, let's just really campaign, shall we, to get Williams back open. I think that's the motorhome that I want to be reopened more than any. <laughs> I think we might have to wait till 2021, even 2022 before that happens. Um, now, just in terms of your um, career progression, um, have you put any kind of timescale on it? Because we know that you're still talking regularly to Toto. Uh, we know that you're very much on Mercedes' radar. Um, 
it would seem fair not to upset the apple cart for them. You know, they're winning races. But God, you must want to get a drive in that car. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody does. You know, that car yeah. is so dominant. I think um, you put any F1 driver in that car and they'll be on the podium. They're just that strong. And, um, you know, obviously they've got Lewis, who is obviously one of the best ever. And the combination is just incredible. And you understand why you wouldn't want to, to change things because Lewis is, you know, been dominating the drivers' championships. Between them, they dominate the, the constructors. It's quite a sort of Ferrari esque of the early 2000s, I guess. Um, but, you know, from, from my side and Mercedes' side, it was always always the plan, always the the yeah like i said that the plan when i when we signed with williams um that i would spend three years there and um here we are and i'm I'm just going about my thing and we'll see where that leads like i say it's what happens above me i've just got to leave to the powers above and all i can focus on is is my job driving but you know i've still got a really good relationship with everybody at mercedes nothing has changed there and, um, you know, they're still fully supporting me as they were in, in GB3 and Formula 2. Yeah, great stuff. So you've got another race this weekend. How are we going to turn Mr. Saturday into Mr. Sunday? Well, I think last weekend was probably the first example uh, or the first showing of that, to be honest. I think we took a bit of a compromise with the, with the setup of the car to focus more on the Sunday. So we were actually more surprised with our Saturday performance because there was probably still a couple of attempts in the car if we really tried optimising Saturday, which is what we normally do. But we compromised that a little bit to focus for, for the Sunday. So arguably, last weekend was probably one of our best qualifying performances of the year. Because um, like I said, there was actually more in the car for a Saturday if we wanted it. So... Well, that's you know, really I started, encouraging, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we, we started 20th, uh, obviously a lot of retirements and what have you. We still finished 12th and on merit ahead of five other cars, I think, or four other cars. So, yeah, I think we're on our way. We're on our way and um, I'm, I'm excited for this weekend. I guess part of that is also to do with the fact these Ferrari-powered cars are having a bit of a shocker this year, aren't they? It's unbelievable yeah. how much they're down. Um, yeah, I think... And pace. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Ferrari itself, a team, um, Ferrari, have lost more straight line speed compared to themselves last year. There's no doubt Haas and Alfa Romeo have also lost some, but I don't think it's to the same extent that Ferrari have. Um, but, you know, also for us, we need to to recognise that and... Um, you know, Mercedes have done an amazing job with the engine over the year. They've brought so much performance to it. So, um, you know, we, we can't take all the credit that we have brought all this performance because there's no doubt they have brought a bit of it. But we're definitely a big contributor to our uh, step forward. And um, let's hope their, their power stays where it is and we keep on going forward. Yeah, go on. You take the credit. You deserve it. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for your time George it's lovely to talk to you as always and all the best this weekend and for the rest of the season I hope we get loads of races in that'd be great yeah likewise thanks Ashley thank you so much thank you George for your time lovely to hear from you and 
It's great to know that British motorsport is in safe hands because between him, Lewis, Lando and at least half of Alex Albon, we've got some brilliant talent, haven't we? How exciting. Um, Yeah, George, lovely person to chat to, lovely person to interview. Um, So very grateful for your time. Okay, loads more great guests on the way, including aforementioned Alex Albon, Kevin Magnusson, Trevor Nelson. We're mixing up a bit here, aren't we? So many great guests on the way this week and next. And I can't wait to talk to all of them. And I can't wait for you to listen and give me some feedback on who you've most enjoyed. And please do still put your name in the hat for the Bose noise cancelling headphones because they are still available. We've still got a handful of them to give away. All you have to do is tag in two of your mates on Instagram, add the hashtag Bose and they could be yours. That would be rather lovely, wouldn't it? They're brilliant, by the way. They're so good. Um, Okay, enough of my waffling. Great to chat to George Russell. Plenty more on the way here on In The Pink. But until then, take care of yourselves. See you very soon. Bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 